Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. Here's Kevin Green. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Well, 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 we are back for another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa. I appreciate you finding us on the various podcast platforms that you may be exploring. Google, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and whatever other great podcasts platforms there are out there that you're finding us so i really do appreciate you finding us we have a very uh interesting episode for you this week we are going to talk to david moulton david is he's a radio man down here in fort myers florida but in in the job you would probably most recognize him in him in he works with the SEC on CBS with Gary Danielson and Brad Nestler on all the see on CBS every Saturday, 3.30, and all the, the huge SEC game of the week. He's a part of that crew. And he also works with the Fox football crew of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. He is their spotter uh, for the crew. And we're going to talk to David about all things college football, pro football, the NFL. We're going to talk Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, the transfer portal, some of his travel stories, working with uh, the Hall of Famers that he's gotten to work with over the years, and Joe Buck, Aikman, Danielson, Vern Lundquist, uh, and, and beyond. So I think you're going to really enjoy our conversation that we had with David. Um He'll give you a very good perspective of what it is kind of behind the scenes working uh, with the number one crew in both college football and the NFL on a week-to-week basis. So I think you'll really enjoy that. So we're going to talk to David. I'm also going to, before we get to David, I'm going to give you some uh, some thoughts on the baseball situation that's breaking out here with all these, with the kind of the revelation of all the pitchers throughout Major League Baseball using the illegal substances to help with their velocity and with help their spin rate and how that's kind of being uh, legislated out of the game by Commissioner Manford. You know, Garrett Cole with some comments, uh, with some very dubious uh, answers to some questions at his press conference about it. I'm going to give you a thought on Manford. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a quick thought on Roger Federer defaulting at the uh, French Open. Did not was not a fan of how he handled it. Very poor of how he handled that. We're going to talk a quick note on the hockey playoffs. We're down to five teams left. The uh, and we'll talk about those couple series that are still playing, and uh, then we'll get straight to David Moulton. So appreciate you finding us. Let me give you a couple quick thoughts on the baseball uh, news of the week again. It was reported that, you know, throughout the league, guys have been for the last few years have been using these illegal substances 
whether it's ticky tack, some kind of tack, spider tack, you know, uh, all these different Vaselines and oils and <clears throat> sunscreen and all these kind of things that they're putting on their glove, on their forearm, on their hat in order to be able to rub the baseball up, which allows the ball to spin more often, which creates it way more difficult to hit the ball. This has been a historically poor year as far as hitters are concerned, as far as averages throughout Major League Baseball. I think the league average throughout Major League Baseball is somewhere in the 230 range, which is at a historic low. If you've watched baseball at all, it's pretty much strikeouts or home runs. The art uh, of hitting base hits and all that have been kind of been taught out of the game by all these launch angles and all that stuff. You know, the, again, is it as bad as steroid use, what the pitchers are doing? No, but they are cheating. And it's been pervasive throughout the game. Every team's doing it. Numerous guys on every pitching staff around Major League Baseball is doing it. And finally, they've kind of come out with this mandate that it's not going to be allowed anymore. The umpires are being directed to check uh, gloves, to check pitchers between innings, and all that stuff. And it's about time. You can't have these pitchers doctoring up these baseballs so much that it inherently changes the way the game's played and pitched. Um, it's been a over, again, I blame Manford for this because Manford, I can promise you, has known this stuff's been going on for a couple years now. And for him not to ever step up and make a make a statement about it and, and get it out of the game is ridiculous. If Manford had the, the cojones and the balls, he would come out and tell every one of these teams, look, if, I, if you get caught, you're getting suspended for 40 games. They're kind of negotiating and proposing a potential 10-game suspension. If a pitcher gets caught doctoring up the ball, 10 games is not enough. If you want to get this out of the game, if you want to end this, you put a mandate in that you're going to get suspended for 40 games, and I promise you it'll stop. Guys are not going to risk 40-game suspensions for doctoring up the baseball, kind of like the steroids and the drug tests. They, you know, the I think it's an 80-game, if you get caught with uh, performance-enhancing drugs in your body, it's an automatic 80-game suspension, and you, don't, and you have seen next to no guys test positive for performance-enhancing drugs, especially at the major league level. 80 games is a significant penalty to anybody in that league, especially guys that are making, you know, 10 plus million dollars a year. You suspend somebody for 80 games or even 40 games, that's a fourth of their salary. They're not going to be doctoring up the baseball for a fourth of their salary. And so if you're Rob Manford, and I'm telling you, Rob, you've taken a lot of hits over the last few years about your kind of lack of awareness about the game and about what's going on in the game. 40 games, Rob, not 10, not 5, not 8, 40 freaking games if you get caught, and that'll stop it, okay? Get it done, Rob. Get it done. Roger Federer. Let's talk about Raj. Raj, if you didn't, it, it was playing in the French Open. He played three rounds of the French Open, won his third round match. And basically, immediately after winning his third round match, he withdrew, claiming his knees and his body were telling him that he's had enough. I think this is a terrible job by Federer. Federer knew all along he wasn't going to go the distance, even if he kept kept winning. He wasn't going to go the distance and play seven matches on the French Open clay and with the wear and tear on his body after two knee surgeries in the last year. It's a poor job by Raj. 
Rodgers should have defaulted prior to the end of his third round match. He should have given his opponent the opportunity to advance to the next round to accumulate a little more um, income. Roger doesn't need the money. The kid he's playing needed the money. He should have allowed that kid to play on into the next round instead of the defaulting, which allowed Roger's next fourth round opponent a free pass into the quarterfinals. Not good business by Roger Federer. Should have defaulted either in the fourth set or at match point prior to him winning his, uh, prior to that third round match ending against the youngster. It, again, would have allowed the youngster to accumulate points on the tour, increase his ranking, his standing, and more importantly, allowed the kid to get a better payday. Because as you know, or if you don't know, in tennis, you get paid per round that you advance. And the more rounds that you advance, the more pay you get. And it's just a bad job by Roger. He's been a great guy and a great ambassador for the game. But a poor job here by Federer, knowingly. And it, it, it was pretty orchestrated. I think most people thought he wasn't going to play the entire tournament if he kept advancing. He's on the side of the draw with Nadal and Djokovic anyway. So that also played into it. He knew there was virtually no chance he was going to advance past Djokovic and Nadal to get to a potential French Open final. Again, poor job by Roger. Should have just defaulted prior to the end of the third round match and let the young player advance to play in the fourth round of a major championship. Hockey playoffs. We are down to five teams remaining. As of this recording, the New York Islanders have eliminated the Boston Bruins in six games. They will now face the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have eliminated the Carolina Hurricanes in five games. This is a very uh, interesting uh, dual uh, dilemma for me. The Islanders were my team of my youth prior to the Tampa Bay Lightning coming into existence. I grew up as an Islander fan back in the early 80s when they were dominant. Mike Bossy with the four Stanley Cups in a row on Long Island. The, the dynasty that was the New York Islanders in the 1980s. It was right in my wheelhouse of when I became a young sports fan and a hockey fan. was watching the New York Islanders in the early 80s. They obviously, with the Tampa Bay Lightning as my team now, growing up living in Tampa. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that both teams advanced to now the Stanley Cup semifinals. They will now play. And on the other side of the draw, you have the Montreal Canadiens, the lowest-seeded team that began the playoffs with the least number of points. They went through the Toronto Maple Leafs in a thrilling seven-game series, and then they destroyed the Winnipeg Jets four straight games to advance to the semifinals, led by Carey Price and company. They will face the winner of Vegas and Colorado, who are up for game six in Las Vegas later in the week. Las Vegas, remember, got destroyed in game one of this series, seven to one. They've come back to win three out of the next four. They had an incredible Game 5 comeback down 2-0 heading to the third period, score two goals in the third period, and then score early in overtime to take a 3-2 lead back to Las Vegas in maybe the most electric arena in the, in the league. Will be a sold-out crowd Thursday night, Las Vegas, Nevada, Game 6. The two best teams in the league point-wise are facing off there at Colorado and Las Vegas. The winner to see the Montreal Canadiens in the semifinals, the Canadian teams, the Canadians have been given permission to travel to the United States and vice versa. The American teams can travel to Montreal for the next round. 
um, as far as the travel ban has been lifted for the for the from Canada. So teams will be able to travel in and out of Canada for these games. So good for Montreal to be able to have home games as well. So down to five teams. I think Las Vegas is going to advance against Colorado, but we'll see game six Thursday night in Las Vegas. And on the other side of the bracket, you got the Lightning and the New York Islanders. I imagine they will probably start on either Saturday or Sunday. Uh, both those teams were uh, is a rematch of last year's semifinal where they both played each other as well. So lots of uh, intrigue in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs and all that stuff. So that's a good briefing for you. The NBA playoffs are underway. The Milwaukee Bucks are in big trouble against the Nets. Two disastrous performances by the Bucks in Game 1 and Game 2. The Suns are rolling against the Nuggets, up two games to none. Philly and Atlanta are 1-1, heading to Game 3 in Atlanta. And the other series in the West is going to be the um, Utah Jazz and the Clippers. The, the Jazz are up one game to nothing after their Game 1 win in Utah on Tuesday night. So there you have it. You're caught up on all the sports of the week. Now enjoy David Moulton, radio host down in Fort Myers, Florida, as well as SEC on CBS in the Fox Game of the Week with Buck and Aikman. He is the spotter for both the Saturday and Sunday football action, and he's going to give you great insight on the upcoming NFL season, the college football season, and his travels working with the CBS crew and the Fox crew on Sundays. So enjoy. David Molten right after these messages. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash-out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. I appreciate you finding us on the various podcast platforms that you may be searching us out on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. We've got a very interesting guest this week on the podcast. We're going to talk to David Moulton. David is a radio host down in the Fort Myers area, Fort Myers, Florida area. David also does some work for CBS. He works on the SEC on CBS Saturday football broadcast. He also works with Fox on the Sunday uh, America's Game of the Week, the, the 425 broadcast with Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. He also is a Sirius XM radio host. He does a little writing. He does a little play-by-play for Florida Gulf Coast. So welcome to the podcast, David. I appreciate you joining us. Jason, thanks for the invite. All right, first off, Talk to me about Dunk City back in the day. How oh, exciting man. was that? And just that run of being a the small, uh, small school. I don't know if you can see it here. I if you can. can see, I'm wearing an FGCU shirt as if on cue. Um, 
I wear these shirts when I'm on the road with CBS and Fox because I want to see whether or not it still resonates because the irony is Southwest Florida, you know, the running joke is in Florida, nobody's from here. So to acquire, you know, a fandom takes some time because most people are from somewhere else. Their fandom is somewhere else to actually get involved in what's going on in your backyard takes some doing. So the funny thing is the locals in Southwest Florida mock you today if you refer to them as Dunk City because after a not great six-year run the last couple of years they've struggled and so it's like ah that's so you know 2013 and what have you meanwhile <laughs> I travel the country wearing FGCU shirts and people in airports will yell Dunk City okay and you know especially when we go to Dallas because FGCU made the sweet 16 in Dallas. Or if we go to Philly, that's where they beat Georgetown and San Diego state. And so people in those cities, you know, the sports fan, they recognize it instantly. Eight years later, later, it still resonates in the own backyard. You get mocked for it. <laughs> it's it's strange. I mean, that's one of the all, I mean, say what you want is people will remember dunk city 50 years from now. That'll be something people will remember. Um, you know, they may never have a run like that again, ever again, but that little three-day run, that weekend run is something that, again, has put FGCU on the map just from an academics and sports perspective. Well, and There's no doubt. Quick story. So we're in Philly, and FGCU, obviously, they win their two games. They go to the Sweet 16. Well, Philly is a great college basketball city. It's a great sports city, but it's a great college basketball city. So there were two factors at work. One is, you know, the Philly people hate Georgetown. It's that whole villain over Georgetown thing. So you want to talk about root. They weren't just rooting against the two seed. You had 15 of the 20,000 people in the building rooting against Georgetown. You know, it was like 85 Villanova all over again. I mean, they just loved it. But also LaSalle that year goes to the Sweet 16. Right, right. LaSalle, of course, located in Philly. The running joke, a couple years later, FGCU and LaSalle do a home and home, and the LaSalle people walk up to FGCU, and they're like cursing at them. The FGCU people's like, what do we ever do to you? And they said, <laughs> what you did to us, we made the Sweet 16 the exact same time you did. And in our hometown, you got the front and back page and we got buried. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's funny. All right. So I want to get it. We're going to get into some college football topics some NFL topics with you a little bit about your career. I want to start with your career. How to talk to me in the audience about how challenging the last, you know, year and a half has been from a broadcasting perspective for you obviously doing a radio show. How challenging has it been from a remote perspective versus an in-person where you can see your partner, where you can have the rhythms of a broadcast? How, how different has it been for you on the, you know, just doing a, a, a local daily radio show? Jason, because I could see my co-host, it actually worked out fine. Like, you know, doesn't matter. And plus in my travels, I, I've been remote for a while. We, we, get used to doing a show apart, the rhythm, you kind of know when the other's done talking, et cetera. But it, the fact that I can see you now, I mean, does it really matter where we are if we can see each other doing a show? With the technology today, that part of it, I was not worried about. Jason, I was terrified, just what are we gonna talk about? Right. I really was, I, I was worried the show was gonna die. 
And there were major markets, San Francisco, like stopped their local programming a couple of weeks into the pandemic, just stopped their local programming. There's like, yeah, there's really no sense. Other major markets got rid of half their local shows. And here we are, we're in like market 55. And I'm, you know, I said to my co-host, what are we going to talk about? And amazingly, and maybe it's a little bit of we're we like to joke we're nooks and crannies type sports talk show hosts. We we're an English muffin. We love to kind of burrow in and we we think the more you know about something, the more interesting it is. And so we dove in. And to us, there were so many layers to the pandemic. And not just the news, the pol- we tried to stay away from the politics, just the sports part. And basically, financially, what, what this is going to do, what was at risk, the timeframes, the whole deal. We found they were some of the best shows we ever did. And I got to admit, I remember being panicked, thinking, oh, my God, my career's going to be over. Uh, what am I going to do? I, th- I thought we were going to fall victim the way many businesses, unfortunately, have I thought we were going to be that restaurant that closed its doors and never came back. Interesting. Yeah. That, it, it, and that's, that is the one thing you're right. It allows you to kind of spend instead of five minutes on a topic, you can spend an hour on a topic because there's nothing to talk else day to day to talk about. Well, and, and Jason, you also have a captive audience because there's nothing really to distract them. I mean, what the hell else was going on in our lives, but the pandemic. Right. So you know, and people kind of saw it as a distraction. Hey, at least this is the sports angle of the pandemic. Right. And obviously a lot of different sports. They started up at different times, what they were all doing, fans, no fans. It just, there was much more meat on the bone than I thought there was going to be. Talk about your, talk about your experiences working remotely early on, starting with the SEC on Saturdays and then and then the NFL on Sundays, how did that change how you did your job? Because explain to the audience what your job was with the Saturday broadcast and with Fox on Sunday, what you do with those guys. I'm basically, a, I'm a glorified helper is what I am. Now, I try to sometimes talk down what I do, but I, I'm there to assist Gary Danielson and Troy Aikman and occasionally Joe Buck. If, if they need something, I'm an extra set of eyes, ears, hands, if you will. And I stand right next to Gary Danielson. I stand right next to Troy Aikman for the broadcast. Uh, I communicate with Gary by writing on a card. I communicate with Troy by talking directly into his ear, a headset like I have on now, and I just talk. I wait till he's done, and I talk to him in short bursts. And, you know, just you can't see everything. The best seat in the house is at home on your couch. Right. Sometimes the worst seat in the house is the press box. (laughs) And so... And you realize much like if you ever watch a prize fight, it's tough to watch both fighters at the same time. You end up being drawn to one fighter more than the other. It's the same thing. If you watch a football game, you're either watching the offense or the defense. You really are, you know, fortunately at home, the camera takes you to where the ball is. And you think like you can watch both your eyes in person. Don't. So sometimes Troy will be looking at one thing and he won't see something over here or just, Mostly it's to remind them, hey, remember they did this then in the first quarter, blah, blah, blah. So that, that's that's really what I do. Live television, I know it's not the same thing, and it certainly doesn't have the same stakes. But it, it's a lot like uh, air traffic control, 
you don't realize it's sitting at home just how crazy it is. And these guys have three voices in their heads at all times. It's live. It seemingly happens a lot faster in the booth than it happens when you're sitting home watching it. Right. And so I, I'm just there to help. Uh, this past year, what was weird was just not having fans. Uh, the very first game we did for Fox was Tampa Bay at New Orleans. And it's in a dome. Well, if you've ever been to a Saints game, this might be the most raucous NFL atmosphere. I mean, Kansas City, yep. New Orleans, to some extent, Green Bay, very the closest thing to a college football atmosphere are those three NFL cities and maybe Seattle. Right. Everything else is very different. Those have more of a collegiate feel to them to be able to walk the mile from the hotel to the stadium and not see a single fan, one cop car in front of Mercedes Benz stadium with its <laughs> lights up one. This is new Orleans Yeah, for the Buccaneers you know, game one. Thanks. Buck, right. Tom Brady. Yeah. Hello. Right. And one cop car cop literally sitting on, you know, the, the hood of his car. Hey, how you doing? Okay. No fans, barricades, nothing walking into the Superdome and it was four o'clock Eastern and the game's kicking off at four 20. There's no one on the field, no one in the stands. Crazy. And I remember turning and looking at Joe and Troy going, is there a football game happening today <laughs> or are we at the wrong place? Because you had, and, and so the atmosphere, the very next game was a Thursday night. It was in Cleveland. There were 6,000 people there. It felt like 50,000. The difference between even some fans and no fans was staggering, but it, it was, it was very weird. It was also, the funny thing is your voice from the press box carries. There were a couple of <laughs> times, there were a couple of times in which I, players just kind of looked up at the booth, you know, I mean, that was funny. funny. You forget no fans, your voice carries. So that's funny. Uh, but I, I had to work remotely almost every college game last year. Each network had their own COVID protocol. CBS's was you had to be in town 48 hours in advance, pass a COVID test and quarantine. Well, since I do Thursday night football, I obviously can't be in town 48 hours before the Saturday afternoon game. So I did most of my college games remotely, you know, iPads, watching the, with a live feed, typing notes, which was right next to Gary, you know, take what he wants, that sort of deal. It was different. There's no doubt about it, but you know, helped out as best I could, uh, was able to do all the Fox stuff on site and amazingly 75 flights five months didn't catch COVID that's awesome no, that's great I because I, I heard I've heard Gary Danielson on a couple of national interviews talk about how stringent CBS was on the protocols yes. where he almost he got stuck in Reno Nevada he told me he went to a did something out in Nevada and he was stuck in Nevada for three or four days I think he did a game at the end of the year with Nevada involved and he had to I mean literally you couldn't leave your hotel room could not. No, no. Uh, yeah, yes. An SEC game got canceled. We did a, a Mountain West game on the fly. It was, I think, San Diego State at Nevada. Well, and the fear was, was that if you tested positive, you were stuck for 10 days. In the, yeah. In a hotel, in God knows what city you were in, right. and you couldn't leave. 
and then it's like well i i don't have clothes for 10 days i i don't have money for 10 what do i do i know it was a real yeah. you know like we would all have if you know god forbid we tested positive away from home and it's like oh god what do i do you know you can't i mean you couldn't go on a plane you've tested positive for covid right you know do you let the front desk even know you have covid you're stuck in the hotel room you know you can't allow any you know, maintenance or right housekeeping, right? You need to quarantine. So it, it was a it was a nerve wracking year. There's no doubt about it. Thank goodness we had sports, though. I can't imagine what this country would have been like during as as much angst and tension and anxiety as we had for the election last year if we didn't have football right. as a distraction. I can I cannot imagine what would have happened to this country <laughs> you talked you mentioned before the differences between a college and a pro pro venue give me just the the for the average fan that maybe hasn't been to each of those kind of venues what is the big difference between a, a saturday night in baton rouge versus a 425 in lambeau or a 425 in seattle for a big nfl game versus a alabama you know lsu game on saturday night in baton rouge or tuscaloosa well, wherever well, I was going to say it's tough to go Saturday night in Baton Rouge because I can argue I don't know if anything is Saturday night in Baton Rouge. <laughs> uh, funny thing, you know, CBS does the game of the week usually at 3.30. Right. We do one primetime game a year. And, and it's always LSU and Alabama. <laughs> well, it, it has been many times in the last 10 years. There's no doubt about it. And the LSU folks hate when CBS comes to town because that means they're not playing at Saturday night. They're playing at 2.30 in the afternoon local time. Right. And literally one time there was a person at the rental car counter who didn't want to rent me a car. <laughs> oh, really? You're with CBS? We hate when you guys are here. <laughs> uh, I mean, so L an LSU game is one thing. A Saturday night in Baton Rouge is its own animal. So take that, put it to the side. College just has a lot more pomp and circumstance. It's a very... It's a different vibe. It's much more fun, quite frankly. There's usually less alcohol involved. It's younger. You know, the NFL crowd's a little older. Uh, and because there's more alumni at a college game, many different generations. Uh, meanwhile, a, a pro game's more male, uh, older, more alcohol involved. Right. Uh, you know, than a college game, but, but there's more people at a college game oftentimes, you know, especially in the SEC. I mean, these stadiums are like the Roman Coliseum. I mean, right. half of them hold 90 100, to 105,000. Right. Well, you know, the biggest NFL stadium, I think, holds like 78. Right, right. So, you know, it, it's different. It is. I will say the way they built up Lambeau, kind of, you know, if those that went to Lambeau Field 30 years ago versus what it looks like now, when I go to Lambo, I go, you know, this might be the closest looking to a college stadium of all the stadiums in the NFL. And, you know, mention Kansas City, mention Seattle, New Orleans, right. Green Bay. Those are the most collegiate atmospheres, right. but they don't have the atmosphere. You know, there's bands on the field in college. There's bands at halftime. There's nothing halftime in the NFL. There's right. 15 minutes of nothing. <laughs> on the field it's a you know the college it it's a different atmosphere i got you i got you and i, and I totally agree it's that the collegiate is much more 
it's it's just a different rhythm in the stadium, like you said. It it's is. Just, it's just a different. Even watching a college game on TV is different. If you bring a non-diehard sports fan to a college game, they can still have a good time. Right. To an NFL game, they'll basically be like, so when do we leave? Four? Right. Yes. We go home at four. You know, That's that right. type of deal. <laughs> All right. Talk to me about working with the different, working with, you You know, you work with, uh, you've worked with some Hall of Famers in your career, CBS Fox, Joe Buck, Aikman, Vern Lundquist, Danielson are, are superior announcers. Talk to me about the differences, things that you've picked up for your career, working with those different guys in those settings, being right next to them on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, just some different things that you've picked up, whether it's delivery, the rhythm of a broadcast, just a little, little nuggets that you've picked up as a broadcaster over the years. Worked with Vern and Gary for 10 years before I stumbled uh, upon Joe and Troy and uh, Vern taught me what, because I'm a minor league play-by-play guy. So I used to pick Vern's brain all the time. And Vern told me very early on, he said, Hey, best advice I ever got was from Pat Summerall who told me you always have more time than you think. And when in doubt, you don't have to say anything because it's on television, stupid. All right. And so by just watching and listening to Vern, I felt I became a better minor league uh, broadcaster. And what I learned from Gary and Troy was, you know, they're both quarterbacks. And so what it is that they see that 99.9% of us don't like to Gary, the, the free safety tells him everything. All right. He's not looking at the quarterback pre-snap. He's looking at the free safety. The free safety tells him all the coverage. And from there, he can work his way to the line of scrimmage and what's going to happen. And based on the coverage, he then thinks that, you know, well, this person's probably where they're going or they're going to get open, that sort of deal. And um, Gary and Troy are different, yet they're both very much about the game. You know, they're not about the hype and the pomp and circumstance. You know, like Gary doesn't, you know, Outside of the flyover, which Gary loves, he doesn't notice any of the other stuff. Honestly, he's there for the game. Doesn't matter to him what teams are playing. He's He gets as psyched up for San, that San Diego State-Nevada game as he does for Alabama-LSU. He loves the intricacy of a game. How are you going to, you know, get your pressure points and exert your will over the other guy in order to win? And... um the one thing I'll say about Vern and Joe is they're both really good dudes for as big a deal as they are. You know, Vern is like Norm from Cheers. Yes. When, when you're driving around on a golf cart with Vern, I mean, everybody knows who he is. And, and I wish people knew how cool Joe Buck was. All right. Cause Joe Buck gets a lot of negative Twitter and comments and I think people hold, you know, the fact that there's no doubt he was helped by being Jack's son to get a start in the business at the highest level, which he acknowledges. Uh, but, I mean, he's a, he's going in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a play-by-play guy, and he's probably going to go in the Baseball Hall of Fame right. here soon as a play-by-play guy, and he's 52 years old. Right. I mean, folks, I mean, he's pretty good at what he does, thank you very much. And he's a great dude. He is so much better to the people around him than the people around him are to him. 
I mean, he's it. I wish people who don't have a favorable opinion of Joe Buck could meet the real Joe Buck. He's a great dude. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's no, I mean, he, you're right. He, 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 he takes a lot of heat because sometimes I won't say he brings it on himself, but he'll make comments that'll, he's very self-deprecating and which is a good thing, but he'll well, sometimes you know, make comments now and again on the air that will put people in a bad mood towards him or well, whatever, you know, and I know he realized this much earlier in his career, but he said something in a national interview a couple of years ago. I mean, Joe's lifelong, you know, St. Louis resident and he had season tickets to the blues. And so when the blues were in the finals, you know, Joe gave an interview in which he said, listen, I love Mike Emmerich. You know, Mike Emmerich's probably the best to ever do hockey. He goes, but I want to listen to my guys. I want to <laughs> listen to, you know, John Kelly and the guys who do the blues. Those are my guys. And Joe goes, and that's when I realized, you know, that this is how the everyday fan feels. They listen to their Local guys. Guy. Yeah, they and are. then they get to the biggest games of the year. And they got this Joe Buck dude who's got to play it straight. I don't want my guy to play it straight. I want to root for my team. Right. And so Joe goes, so I, you know, I kind of realized right there, you know, how, well, you know, they're always going to think I'm rooting for the other team because I might say something decent about the other team <laughs> and they don't want to hear that when they're playing for a championship. That's right. That's right. That's right. Let's talk about you a little bit. Let's talk about how did you kind of, how did you get into the sports broadcasting world? Kind of your, your where'd you grow up at and, Kind of what was your big break into broadcasting? Grew up wanting to be a sportscaster. Uh, you know, my mother always knew she wanted to be a nurse. I was eight years old, knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. And so went to college to do just that. Signed up to write for the student newspaper, be on the student radio station, student TV station, internships locally. And fortunately got a job while I was still in college and just kind of worked my way through the minor leagues and I've done play-by-play -play, sports radio, local television for 20 years. You know, you do what you, it's a tough business. I tell people all the time, if you're going into this business, thinking you're going to get fame and fortune, you're going to be sorely disappointed. It's a lot like acting in Hollywood. You know, there's an adage that the average actor in Hollywood makes $10,000 a year. And that's because 90% of them are unemployed and they're waiting tables. And it's the same with you get into the media, like all the people in college who along with me went into the media, radio, television, newspaper, there are two of us left in my college still doing media in some way, shape, or form. There's a sports writer in Scranton and me, and that's it. And the rest of us are going to do something else to make money and have a normal life because sports casting, you work nights and weekends, and the whole rest of the world works weekdays and days. So it's, it's fun, but, but it's different. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world though. Uh, I really wouldn't. I have no idea, you know, Jason, what my plan B would have been. I really don't. I joke all the time. I would have delivered pizzas. I have no idea. Like with this pandemic, if the show had gone away, I, I would probably be a driver of some kind. I really would. I have no idea what my, my plan B is. I'm 55. I got about 12 more years. I got to work and I hope I don't have to go to plan B. I've been fake, you know, been faking them out for 35 years now. How'd you end up in Fort Myers? Uh, I was in, uh, I worked in Scranton, Binghamton, Fargo for five years. And 
Needless to say, my wife said, you know, we could go someplace warm. That'd be nice. <laughs> and so uh, we went from the coldest spot on the map to the warmest spot on the map in the dead of winter. And so uh, we've been here 22 years, as it turns out. The Gary Danielson SEC on CBS part of it was interesting. Gary moved to Southwest Florida after I had been here about four years and he was listening to me in traffic on the radio uh. comment about a game that he did with Brent Musburger, the Ohio state Michigan game. And he told me after the fact, he said, I was sitting in the car going, what the hell are you talking about? That's, that's, that's not what happened. And so he went back and looked at the tape and apparently I was right. And so Gary wondered, well, how could someone sitting at home see something that we couldn't see in the booth? And it got him thinking, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to have a guy next to me helping me out. Well, they didn't have a position when he was at ABC, but uh, two years later, Gary moved to CBS and Gary said, hey, you know, can we try something? It may only last a game, right? But or maybe it'll last a month or what have you, but I'd like to try something. I said, sure. And so, you know, now we've done 15 years together and through Gary and his agent, I and Gary had a relationship with the director of Fox golf from his ABC days. Nice. Uh, Joe was looking for a right-hand guy for golf. And so my name came up, I did a tryout, I got the gig. And, um, you know, then three years down the road, Troy's looking for a guy because everybody has a helper in the booth, except Troy, Troy was by himself. And so Troy was kind of like, Hey, you know, can I get me a caddy? <laughs> and so Joe said, well, I got a guy, try him out. That's awesome. That's great. And so we did a game we'd never met before. We did a Cowboys Carolina first game of the year. And when the game was over, I shook Troy's hand and I thought I'd never see him again. And I got a call about 12 days later saying, Hey, we got a game in Seattle. Are you going to be here? I'm like, well, I wasn't planning on it. And they're like, well, you better get your, you know, what to Seattle. <laughs> so okay got my you know what to seattle and did it done again. three years now yeah so nice. there you go very that's cool that's great i mean it's funny how these little little nuggets like that turn into something where you you know all of a sudden you're on the biggest broadcast of two different networks for you know for x number of years and you know over just a little comment you made on the radio that somebody listens to you and hears you on the radio yeah well i think though it's a lot like that, I think, with every occupation, isn't it? Most people hire people they know or they hire right. people who were recommended to them by people they know and trust and that sort of deal. I mean, it really is difficult to get a job cold, which going back to, Jason, when we started this, you brought up FGCU. The athletic director at FGCU, eight, nine years ago, I guess it was, decided, and he was a first-year AD at FGCU. He'd been at Bradley for about 15 years. He decides, I'm going to make a change, and I'm going to hire a new basketball coach. Well, they don't play football at FGCU. So this is the biggest sport they have. And Ken Cavanaugh is the AD, and Ken knows a lot of people. He's been involved in college athletics at the time for 30 years. Notre Dame, BC, you know, Bradley. I mean, he knows a lot of people. And he ends up hiring a guy who he didn't know at all who was not recommended to him, by the way. This was like a stone-cold resume. And Andy Enfield, Ken didn't know him, didn't know hardly anybody who knew him. Right. And of all the people that Ken could hire, 
he hired Andy Enfield. And two years later, Dunk City happened, and now Andy was success at USC and all that. And so, you know, yeah, I ended up getting 15 years worth of network television off of somebody listening to me on sports radio. But if you think Andy Enfield got his big break, hired stone cold stack of resumes, if you will. And Ken picked his out and said, Hmm, this guy looks intriguing. <laughs> no, seriously. You know, I mean, you know how people get hired. Yeah. I mean, the odds of getting, how many of us have gotten hired for any job at all outside of like our entry level job working as a clerk, Right. How many of us have ever gotten a job of some consequence in which the person doing the hiring, you didn't know, you didn't know anyone they know, right? and they didn't know you and anything about you either? Not very often. No, that's not how the world works. Right, right. That's crazy. That's, that's, uh, you're right. It's, and it's, 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 it's it, like I said, it happens in all walks of life, not just right. media, every, whether you're the, the attorney, the doctor, the plumber, totally. the, or the, or the wedding planner, you know, whatever, whatever. Walk yeah. Talk to me about, I know CBS has lost the SEC contract. It's mm -hmm. going to, it looks like it's going to ESPN in a couple of years. Just what are your, what are C, you know, have you, have you got any conversations with, with Gary and just, and Brad about that stuff and just, the thought of it's coming to an end sooner rather than later. Well, first off, they have three years left on the deal. Right. And unless the four letter network's going to buy out the three letter network. I mean, if you're CBS, I mean, this is way above my pay grade, but I mean, that's programming that a is good programming and B you're making a lot of money on. So, I mean, there's no reason to give it up, especially since as of right now, they don't have anything to replace it with. Right. So, I mean, I'm planning on working three more years. I'm certainly planning on working two more years. Put it that way. Maybe there's a chance. You, there have been many examples in the history of network sports television where the final year of a contract gets bought, bought out. out. Right. But, you know, what happened last year with Fox selling off the remaining like six or so years of their USGA contract back to NBC, that's very right. unusual. And, and that wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. They, they sold that off because, well, they couldn't air the golf because of the football conflicts because the golf got rescheduled. So, you know, listen, done 15 seasons. If it ends up being 17 or 18, you know, plus, I mean, Gary can still keep working and CBS could get their hands on something else, but yeah. Hey, you know, if this ends up being 17 or 18 years and that's it, I really believe maybe I'm a little biased, but I really believe in 50 years, they go back and they write about the history of sec football. I think that most of the era that CBS had. Absolutely will turn out to be this was the golden age of the sec Absolutely. you know in the mid 2000s the sec went from being a regional conference to a yep. national conference to the dominant conference i mean you know gary's first year with Vern was tim tebow's freshman year right i mean it's been a hell of a run yep. when you think about what we've witnessed up close over the last 15 years i lived in i lived in birmingham for many years back in the late early 2000s up until 2017 which is obviously the epicenter of the sec right I mean, it's saturday at 2 30 in birmingham if alabama or auburn plays that should that city shuts down 
there's nobody on the roads. Nope. It is everybody's in a house in a sports bar somewhere watching the game for that four hour block of time. Green Bay, Wisconsin and Birmingham, Alabama, when the Packers and the Tide play absolutely ghost towns and Birmingham, uh, number one college football market in the yes. country, according to TV ratings. And it's not close. Yep. No, there's no doubt. I mean, it is the, I mean, obviously with Alabama, I mean, and this was before Alabama was even, I mean, right. before Saban got there, this was Mike Price, Dennis Franchino. Oh yeah. No, no, no. They, they don't care. 11 and one, seven and five. They're watching. Yes. Right. I mean, they're that just the angrier when they call Feinbaum on Monday. That's yes. all. Yes, yes. That was, the, I mean, honestly, that was one of the coolest things about living in Birmingham was just being there during the college football season on a Saturday, on a game week, because, like you said, the whole city and the whole state of Alabama, whether you're Alabama or Auburn, just shut down on Saturdays. The funniest thing I saw on Twitter when – you know, hey, ESPN slash ABC is getting the SEC beginning in 2024. And, you know, most people, oh, great, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hey, are they going to get the theme? I mean, the one thing, you know, after the end of a long run, sometimes people are glad to see you go. But there was even the diehard fan that, you know, ah, I don't like that Danielson. I'm sick of CBS. We're not going to lose that theme, are we? <laughs> okay. I mean, does the theme music come in the deal? And by the way, the answer is no. Right. Not unless CBS sells it. Right. Okay. Because remember, you know, the NBA on NBC, Yeah. you know, and they had that theme music. Yeah. And when ABC took it over, the theme music didn't go with them. Now, the funny thing is Fox bought it from them. Ah. Okay. Many, many years down the road, but it didn't make the move with ABC to the NBA. Now you're, you know, you're, you're exactly right though. That's Saturday at three 30. I mean, that is, that is the SEC's history of, of, of national broadcasts. CBS three 30 will, will go down 50 years from now is the, the rise of the well, SEC. And I don't know, you know, if CBS will ever get the credit in the annals of the SEC that they should, but you know, the rest of the country, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. I mean, you know, we made fun of the SEC, right? We made fun of the South. We made fun of the football fan in the South. Well, they did so all throughout the rest of the country too. And when CBS in the mid nineties said, we're going to put the SEC game of the week on at three 30 in the afternoon on Saturday, the other networks laughed at them. They said, are you serious? Like people in Texas are going to watch Alabama, Auburn. And CBS was like, eh, we'll see. And not just a five-year commitment. They made a humongous commitment. Yeah, they ended up the, almost years, 30 years, years it'll be, you yeah. know, by the time they're done. And the other thing is, is that the three voices of yes. the SEC on CBS, when all is said and done, are going to turn out to be Jim Nance, Vern Lundquist, Brad Nessler. Pretty good. You know, I was going to say, they didn't send the B team <laughs> to do these games, okay? You know, two Hall of Famers and one who will be. Have you ever had a travel? Give me a good travel story. Have you ever ever almost missed your Fox game because of a travel issue getting out of an SEC venue? Um, I've been lucky because the Fox games on Sunday that we do are almost always 425. So I can drive from the small SEC town, usually to Atlanta. You know, there's half the SEC or more is within three or so hours of Atlanta. Right. So drive to Atlanta on a Saturday night, fly out on the 7 a.m. flight to usually, you know, the NFL's major city. So it's direct flight. You get in, you're okay. And, and the 
funny story. So Joe Buck hires a new spotter a couple of years ago. And, you know, Joe's got a stats guy, which gives him like numbers, but a spotter is the guy who points to who made the tackle, you know, that sort of deal. He's very important. He's Joe's probably most important guy (laughs) next, next to Troy is the spotter. And so very first game he's doing, he's doing a college game in Michigan. He can't get out on Saturday night. Well, that's okay. He's flying from Detroit to Dallas. No big deal. Zip in, zip out. Uh, Yeah. Mechanical trouble sat on the uh, runway for three hours. Okay. Very first game, you know, Joe got rid of his spotter. He brought in a new guy and he's going to miss his very first game. And so we ended up, you know, you go to the airport, you pick him up, you run, you get him close to the stadium traffic. He's kind of walking through traffic. He shows up about 20 minutes before kickoff, sweating like crazy because it's September in Dallas. It's 100 degrees, the whole deal. He's completely sweat through his outfit, the whole deal. Hey, I'm John Smith. Nice to meet you. Right. Joe Joe pretended as if he didn't notice. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But uh, I showed up about 20 minutes before an Auburn-Georgia game one time in Athens. Uh, got caught in traffic and decided I was going to make the drive up on a, on a Saturday and uh, yeah, game day traffic got the better of me. And it, it was close there. And I will say Gary from the very beginning said, I need you for three 30 on Saturday. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter to me. Vern was nervous as heck. Vern was like, where is he? Gary's like, don't worry. We're good. He'll, He'll be, be here. here. He'll be here. Right. He'll be here. He's just stopping off at one of the places in Athens and getting a hot dog on the way in. It's okay. He'll be here. All right. Um, a, a, a birdie friend of a birdie of mine said, David doesn't like to be called Dave. <laughs> Boy, that goes back to my mom. You know, uh, it was just my mom and I growing up. I don't, you know, I don't have any brothers or sisters. Uh, my dad wasn't really around. So it was just my mom and I, and my mom hates Dave and you know teachers from grade school want to call me Dave everybody you know what's your name David hi Dave and my mother always used to say the same thing she would glare right at people and in public she did not care she would say if I wanted him to be called Dave I would have named him Dave (laughs) and that usually pretty much ended the conversation so I get into broadcasting and I want to be David. Well, all the consultants and news directors are like, yeah, we got to call you Dave, Dave Simpler, Dave, 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 Dave. I'm like, yeah, I hate Dave. I never grown up to Dave. You know, all my friends were called Dave. I was David. That's part of how, you know, the teacher knew who I was. And they're like, nah, you're going to be Dave. So I always wanted to get to a certain point where I could be like my mom and say to a boss or to whomever, Hey, if I wanted to be called Dave, my mother would have named me Dave, <laughs> you know, you know, the problem is I'm not like Letterman, you know, you get to that height, you know, Dave, you could say, name. call me blankety blank. And that's what we have to call you. Right. You know, I'm Joe Schmo in you know, market 55 in the career minor leagues. Can I really look at somebody, Jason and go, Hey, Hey, call me David. I don't like Dave. You can't, you can, when you're in the booth with Troy and, and Troy and Buck. <laughs> no, it's the other way around. They can call me whatever they want. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to a couple uh present day topics, NFL college football, Aaron Rodgers. What do you think is going to happen there? I mean, obviously he's, he's not Jason, going to mini camp. I don't think this is complicated. I don't. They're not going to trade him, I agree. and he's not going to sit out the year. He's just not. 
I mean, it's too much money to give up. He's in the late prime of his career. He's not going to sit on the sidelines for a year. He's going to sit out for as long as he can to make his point. And my guess is he's going to show up after the final preseason game. Right. And in a strange way, he's actually doing Jordan Love and the Packers a favor. Yep. Because Jordan's going to get all the reps. Right. And Jordan's going to get to play. You know, uh, Andrew Brandt, who was with the Packers in the mid-2000s with the whole Favre and Rodgers thing. And Andrew said, you know, Brett, near the end of his time, didn't want to show up for the mini camps and this, that, and the other thing. And we were fine because we got to see Aaron run the team. And it was part of the reason why we knew we'd be okay when Brett left. Because we had seen enough of Aaron, even though he wasn't playing in real games, we had seen enough of him to know, this guy's a player. We'll be okay. And I actually think he's doing Jordan Love a favor. And I think he'll show up very end of August and he'll go to New Orleans week one and throw for about 320 and three touchdowns and they'll win. And I you, I But think- I do think whether he says it publicly, kind of like what Mike Krzyzewski just did, right. or he just says to them privately, I do think Aunt, that Aaron Rodgers will be of the belief, this is my last year here. And I do think with that, he won't be playing around. I do think with that, he will say to Mark Murphy and them, this is my last year here. I can go public with this. We can go public with this. I can keep it quiet and fake it all year. But this is it. I'm telling you, next year, I don't show up at all. Right. That's Okay, That that's what I do think happens. I think he plays out this year. And then he gets dealt, which also makes sense salary cap wise. If you're the Packers, you need to see Jordan Love in his third year under the contract to figure out, are you going to pick up his fifth year option? So the timing works perfectly. I think this is just going to be a whole bunch of nothing. He shows up around August 31st and they go 12 and five. Yeah. Cause I'm with you. He's not, he's not sitting out and first of all, like you said, the late prime of his career. He's he's probably got three probably really, really, really good years left probably in him. He's not sitting out. He's not going to then pay turn around and pay Green Bay 13 or $14 million in salary cap bonus money and then not and then not make his salary for the year. Well, no and money. the thought that he might retire, do you know how much bonus money he'd owe the Packers? It's around 30. Yeah, yeah, that ain't That's happening. a lot of jeopardy. Yes, that ain't happening. I mean, it is. And he's in the uh, and, and he probably won't get the Jeopardy job from all indications. I know they all said he did a good job, but you know, he's probably not going to get the job. No, my guy Joe Buck apparently did a great I job. The, the episodes air, I guess, coming up in two months. So I, I'm curious as to how he did. What are your thoughts on the whole NFC, the, the whole offseason stuff where the veteran players aren't coming to OTAs and that's kind of been the players association's mantra to not show up to a lot of these things. How do you think that's going to work itself out? Not just this year, but moving forward. Well, the problem is they're what a year into a 10 year extension of the, right. Of the deal with the owners. And it specifically states in the deal. If you get hurt, not at the team facility, we don't have to pay you. So I'm with the players on, listen, I, I think the teams wanted too much control over their offseason. The players don't need the practice. The te- teams want the players in camp because they think if they're with us, they won't get in trouble. 
That's why they don't want them to be at home and they want them to be in camp. They think there's not as much to do. They won't get in as much trouble if they have to be here at 8 a.m. the next day. And the players are like, hey, come on, man. You know, we can do this and I can train at home and the whole deal. The problem is in the CBA, if they train at home like Jawan James and they rupture an Achilles, they lose $20 million. So to me, like Bruce Arians just said to Brady and the receivers, they were working out in a high school. And Bruce Arians publicly said, guys, if you don't want us to be around, I get it. But why don't you work out at our facilities? We'll leave you alone. We won't even, I I won't even be there. I'll play golf. Okay. But at least if somebody gets hurt on our field, they get paid. And literally, literally they're practicing a quarter mile down the street at at Yankee facility at the same time that OTAs are going on at one buck place. Right. Right. And and Arians is going, listen, I don't, Tom, you know, the playbook, the receivers know the routes. I don't care if you're here, but I kind of want you to get paid if you get hurt. And it's, and and the weird thing about this is it's kind to me, it's a, it's a uh, good players can go ahead and practice by themselves because the bucks are going to pay Tom Brady if he blows his Achilles out, but it's the, the backup running back or the third string tight end that if he's working out with Tom Brady, the bucks are probably going to, or any team is probably not going to pay and going to release that guy. So it's kind of, it kind of divides the team a little bit between the younger guys and the established guys. I think the NFL PA did a horrible job here for its, members because think about this say you're a player that attends everything you know you're a loyal guy you attend everything yep there's still a hundred days in the off season before training camp right where you're going to be home well you're going to work out yeah. during those hundred days well so what if you're a good loyal team guy you show up for every voluntary mandatory thing before training camp you could still get tear a bicep or tear an Achilles while working out in your garage and you were a good guy. And yet, and yet they're not protected in this, that the NFLPA did a horrible job by its members here. And I would like to think that the NFL would kind of cut their guys a break, but as we've seen, it's a business and they won't do it. And it, and it, and it matters. Like you said, what kind of teammate are you? I don't know what kind of teammate Juwan James was, but that may have played into it a little bit. He may not have been the best teammate or the best team guy, which led to the decision for Denver not to pay him. Well, I just think it was strictly, he had two years left on a deal. He was going to miss one of the two years with a torn Achilles. Right. Why am I going to pay this guy $10 million when the contract says I don't have to, I can get out of it and it doesn't cost me a dollar against the cap. Well then hell let's cut him. Right. And he just signed yesterday with Baltimore he just got a kind of a, an incentive laden deal yesterday with Baltimore, and he just turned around and filed a lawsuit against the Broncos for the money. For the but what's million. interesting though is that the NFLPA did not sign on with the lawsuit. He's uh, totally on his own, right. which shows right there that the NFLPA believes their players are screwed. Right, right. Crazy. You think Julio Jones will be a good fit in Tennessee? I do. I think it'll be a terrific fit. I think that the, I think that the AFC right now might be the best conference in all of professional and major college sports. I mean, think about how loaded the AFC is. First off, you had to win 11 games last year to make the playoffs. The Dolphins at 10 wins didn't get in. This isn't accounting for whether or not the Raiders or the Chargers or somebody takes a big leap forward. This isn't accounting for the Patriots 
who had no skill on offense last year and four defensive starters who sat out because of COVID, the Patriots coming right back and potentially being the Patriots. I mean, it could once again be the case where you need to win 11 to make the playoffs in the AFC. And there's a couple teams with nine, 10 wins who can easily find themselves on the outside looking in. I don't think Jason, there's a lot that separates the Browns and the Ravens and the Colts right. and the Titans and what have you. So, you know, these are, think about the playoff games, Buffalo beat the chargers by, or Buff. Buffalo beat the Colts by three, right. you know, Baltimore, Tennessee was a one score game for most of the day until I think Baltimore won by 10, you know, Cleveland, KC was a one score game. I mean, there was not a lot separating six or seven teams in the AFC. You get a Julio Jones, that could be a touchdown in a playoff game, which is the difference between winning and losing. Absolutely. Absolutely. A couple of college football points and I'll get you out of here. What are your thoughts on the whole transfer portal? That's obviously been a huge thing in basketball. It's getting more and more in football. The SEC just signed an agreement where they're allowing kids to go from SEC school to SEC school. What are just your thoughts on the whole transfer portal system? I have to admit, I have evolved on this over thir- a 30-year career. I was in the 90s, much of a scholarship was enough. You know, give me a break, blah, blah, blah. I, I've changed my tune in the 2000s. I think it's because of the coaches moving on a whim and having five years left on a contract and just walking out the door and taking a better deal somewhere else. And it's like, hold on. And the kid who signed there because of you can't transfer without sitting out a year. So that's why I changed my tune that I'm fine with every kid getting one mulligan transfer. I'm with you. Okay. Now, after that, I think they should have to sit out unless their head coach leaves. Like, because this whole you go there for the school is crap. You go there for either the head coach or a lead assistant who recruited you. So when there's major staff, you know, turnover, that affects these players a lot more than the the front of the shirt. It really does. So, but I'm, I'm fine with everybody getting one transfer. You should be able to go wherever you want to go to. If you want to go Alabama to Georgia or Alabama to Florida Gulf coast, you should be able to do that. Yes. I, I, I agree. I do think, though, we're getting closer and closer to even more of a breakaway amongst the power schools from the lesser schools. If the divide isn't big enough, I actually think it's going to get bigger. And I think you could even start to see when we expand to a bigger college football playoff, I have a feeling we're going to see certain conferences try to move on from certain teams in their conferences, Hmm. the dead wood in their conference, if you will. I don't know if it'll happen. The contracts may be too legally binding, but there's a part of me that thinks even amongst the power five, there may be some separation, either that, or there's going to be some consolidation. So Vanderbilt to the conference USA, huh? (laughs) <laughs> well, no, the SEC will always keep those grades. I know. <laughs> they need they need the GPA help. <laughs> Got that right. And besides, <laughs> listen, you know, the, the schools like Vanderbilt who are great in every sport with football, hey, you yeah. know, you pay five, six, seven plus million dollars, you gotta win games. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. You can't for as much as we talk about the colleges improving their scheduling, you know. 
these coaches have to win games or they're going to lose their job. They don't want their schedule to look like the NFL. That was the interesting thing that happened last year with the pandemic and basically no non-conference scheduling. There weren't the layups right. on the, the automatic two, three or four wins in some cases that they would normally get. And so when a school went, you know, three and six, well, yeah, because two FCS schools and, you know, uh, you know, little sisters of the poor were no longer on the schedule. Right. Right. Are you surprised that the, 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 there's not been some level of a college commissioner instituted no. to some degree no. to help manage no. some of these college no. situations? I love Tim Brando. He's been on this for years. Uh, I debate it with Timmy B all the time. Tim, name the conference that's going to give up their power to an all-knowing czar. Do you think Greg Sankey is going <laughs> to take all? I'm being serious here. I mean, come on now. If you're the SEC, do you really want somebody above you in which you go, well, you know, the commissioner of the NC of college football said we have to do this. So we have to follow along. Uh-uh. No. Greg Sankey's not taking orders from anybody. Uh-uh. No, absolutely not. The Big Ten commissioner's not taking orders from anybody right. except the university presidents in his conference. Oh, no. Well, they'll never be a commissioner of football. There could be a commissioner for the other 20 sports under the NCAA umbrella, but I don't think there will ever be a college football commissioner because there's no way those conferences are surrendering any of their power to someone else who could decide something that's not in their best interest. No way. Is college football going to expand the playoff? Yes. How many teams? I think it's going to go to at least eight. It may even go to 12. I, I think it's going to be a total money grab, a absolute money grab, because look at the money that's been lost here because of the pandemic. I mean, right. a little story that a lot of people missed. The SEC saw that. wrote a check to every one of their schools for $23 million, which only covered 50% of their losses from last year. They're borrowing against their future ESPN contract, which doesn't kick in for another three years. Right. That's what a big financial bath the SEC and the other major conferences took. So I think when it comes to a, a playoff, it will be a total cash grab. Well, David, much pleasure, man. You did an awesome job. I really appreciate the time today. You can uh, tell everybody where the, the name of your radio show, where they can catch you online, all that good stuff. We're not very creative. So <laughs> my name is David Moulton and I do a show with Mark Miller and you're not going to believe this, but we named the show Miller and Moulton. <laughs> we put a lot of time and effort into it. I think six seconds actually. And, uh, we're in Southwest Florida. Uh, you can listen to the show at millerandmolten.com. We're also live on Twitch every morning on the Miller and Moulton channel, uh, 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays. And um, you're, yeah. You are, your Twitter feed is you're, the, you're like the Ohio State. Oh, you're like the, the Ohio State. I know, and I hate it. <laughs> and, and the irony from that, so we're at another radio station in town and we get fired over four years ago. And so we all our Twitter handles were in tune with the station letters. So we all lost our Twitter handles. So we're starting anew. 
And Mark came up with a Twitter handle and our producer came up with one. And I'm like, oh man, I need something creative. And so literally the producer says, well, why don't you be the David Moulton? And I go, I hate that. <laughs> but I'm so technologically challenged, I couldn't set up my own Twitter feed. <laughs> he sets up my Twitter feed as the David Moulton. Hey. And I hate it because it sounds so arrogant. The David Moulton? Who the hell is David Moulton? <laughs> okay. I mean, at least Ohio State's accomplished something. Who the hell am I? <laughs> so, but yeah, it's my Twitter handle. Yep, the David Moulton. And by the way, my little birdie who told me about the don't call him Dave is one Tom James. Oh, there you go. Bars. It's, it's funny, TJ and I worked together for a long time and he said, I never called you David. I said, oh, I know. <laughs> and I like you anyway. Uh, that's funny. Well, Dave, I, David, I really appreciate it. Continue the great work. What's your where's week one at CBS? Where are you going for week one at CBS? Well, we're September 11th. We're actually going to do Air Force at Navy. That's awesome. But our first SEC game the following weeks, Alabama at Florida, and they nice. don't play in the regular season very often. They don't. So, the th and, and the good thing about about your Fox schedule this year, you won't have to be making. You're, you'll be very close. You'll be probably making a lot of visits to Tampa. Here, a lot of the irony, lives. we right now on our schedule, we don't have one Bucks home game. What? I know we've got like four Bucks road games. Don't have a single home game. I live to, they're finally good. <laughs> I've been in Southwest Florida. They haven't been good in 20 years. They win the Super Bowl. I'm working for Fox. I can't get one damn home game. I mean, geez. I mean, I got games in Miami, games in Jacksonville. Bucks win the Super Bowl. Can't get a home game. I mean, come on. What the heck? I mean, dang, man. Well, all, all the best to you, Dave. David, I really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Sirius XM, uh, radio show in Fort Myers, SEC on CBS, Fox with B Buck and Aikman on Sundays, Florida Gulf Coast play-by-play. -play. And you're even a writer, too, I saw. Even do a little writing. Yeah, I hate it, but a, that's, a few people think I'm decent at it. And besides, <laughs> you know, when you got a wife and a kid and a mortgage, well, you're right. Do what you got to do. Well, all, yep. all the best, David. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the thanks for the time and have a great week. Jason, thanks for this. I enjoyed it. I much too. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.